When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As a runner and a backpacker, uh, I've come to like uh, Werner, Herzog, Werner Herzog's quote. He says, the world reveals itself to the person who travels on foot. And I've learned that to be true. Um, 1995, I was the pastor at Francis Cove United Methodist Church, and I went with a, a small group from Francis Cove. We joined another group from the Andean Rural Healthcare Organization, and we went to Montero, Bolivia uh, on, on a mission trip. And, and the project was kind of twofold. We were building a roof on top of an, an addition to the clinic, the health clinic there, and we um, went on home health care visits with the healthcare workers. So it was a really amazing trip. We stayed in this lovely place across town. I'd say it was a, a mile or two um, from the clinic. And so the very first morning we all got up, our whole group, got up early and had breakfast, and we walked uh, from from the little place we were staying to the clinic. And it was it was really great. We we got to discover this little town, the shops and the restaurants. It was fascinating to see the people at work or, or at leisure. Um, there was one guy in the group though, he wasn't so fond of the walk. And so at the end of the first day, he said, hey, we should all rent bicycles uh, and ride to the clinic. Well, we all enthusiastically agreed. Everybody that is, except for Eddie. Eddie didn't want to rent bicycles. Uh, and I never did really know why. You know, Eddie was not one of those uh, people that uh, used extra words, just kind of quiet. So I don't know, like if he never uh, learned how to ride a bike, um, but the bikes were awesome. Like, first of all, it was fun. And like we would get to the clinic in no time. So that meant we didn't have to leave as early. We could sleep in a little bit, uh, but not Eddie. Uh, Eddie would get up early um, and he would strike off to the clinic all alone, uh, making the trek on foot did that for the, the duration of our time there. So we're on the bus. I'm sitting next to Eddie. Uh, we're on our way to La Paz. And I just made a comment, you know, like, man, Eddie, I'm, I'm really sorry you didn't uh, rent the bikes with us. I mean, it was really a lot of fun and I missed you. But Eddie wasn't sorry. His usual quiet demeanor became animated with story after story. Eddie uh, discovered uh, new streets and, and new ways to, to get to the clinic. Each day, uh, there would be some kind of adventure. Like he discovered a bakery and he would stop in the bakery every morning and he learned uh, the bakery owner's name. Uh, he would uh, stop in the, the park and he would uh, attempt a conversation with whoever it might be uh, sitting on the park bench, an elderly man, a, uh, a mom with small kids, 
people playing in the park. On his walk home from the, the clinic, every single evening, uh, he would wave uh, at, at all of his new friends. I immediately, as soon as Eddie started telling these stories, felt this, this pang of regret. See, my decision to, to ride a bike was a decision to, to move quickly and efficiently with a, a great amount of joy, I will add. But it was a decision um, to miss the town almost completely. I didn't really see the town and I didn't really see the people. Uh, I missed out on something sacred. And sitting next to Eddie on the bus on our way to the airport, I knew it. Our text from Luke's Gospel is interesting. This whole section from, from Luke 9:51 into to chapter 19, it, it's written like a travel narrative. And so in reading Fred Craddock's commentary on the, the Gospel of, of Luke, um, he says that Luke is repeatedly reminding its, its readers of, about um, this context of Jesus's journey to Jerusalem, uh, Jesus's journey to the cross. And, and he reminds his readers of that because like it's that, um, you know, it, it's that travel narrative uh, that that we interpret everything that Jesus does and and that Jesus says. That um, the problem is is that the the geog geographical references are confusing and they don't really like uh, make sense. They don't they don't add up or support this idea of movement from Galilee to Jerusalem, especially since in nine, nine in chapter nine verse fifty one. Uh, it's it's like when Jesus knew that he was to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Like there's this determination to go straight there is, is the way that it feels. But when, when you look at it more closely, like in our story, in chapter 9, he's in Samaria. In chapter 10, he seems to be in Bethany near Jerusalem. Uh, he's, he's back in Galilee in chapter 13. And then he's between Galilee and Samaria in chapter 17. And in chapter 18, Luke has him in, in Jericho. So if you were to like plot the points on a, on a map, um, you would realize that it's not a, a geographical journey. It's more of like an editorial structure that Luke has created uh, to tell this story, this very important story. It's uh, our faith story. It's a pilgrimage story. And that's a way of moving um, that would have been very familiar uh, to Jesus and his disciples. Uh, one, of, one of the students in the confirmation class a few years ago um, talked about uh, these people who, who started the Bible Project. It's uh, bibleproject.com, and it's been amazing how um, that website, the app, the videos, the podcast have, have really fed my soul. And so... Um, you know, thanks to uh, the Comprimand for uh, for doing that. So anyway, so I'm listening to the to the Bible Project, um, and I'm curious about pilgrimage. Um, last year, when I knew that I was going to be going on one, um, I, I wanted to study it and to research it. And and so um, on this podcast, this guy named John and this guy named Tim, 
um, are talking about uh, the, the pilgrimages um, that particularly the men in uh, the Jewish faith would have to take every year. And so as they're talking about these festivals, so John says, all these festivals, you've said this, they're all trying to, to help us reconnect with this ideal of resting and reigning with God in a complete and full and abundant way. And then Tim says, yeah, on all of these, the reason why you set them apart is because they're special days where you bring special offerings. You go to the temple and offer your offerings there. And, and they, uh, they said, he says, for three of them, Passover, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles, once Israel came into the land and had a centralized temple, for those three, all the males were supposed to make a pilgrimage every year. These were moments where you go meet with God at the symbolic Eden, at the center of the land, or at the center of the camp. That's what it's all about. And then Tim says this, once God takes up residence in the tabernacle, Israel is now supposed to orient the whole of their lives around the reality of God's presence there. So uh, today is my last Sunday with, with you for a while. Um, we've been calling it a sabbatical. Uh, the Lilly Endowment, uh, they actually call it a, a clergy renewal leave. Um, and uh, the Lilly Endowment gave us a really big grant uh, to, to do this once-in-a-lifetime thing that we're about to do. Uh, my wife, Chan, and I, um, we're calling it a pilgrimage. So the, the, Camino de, the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James, um, is a medieval uh, pilgrimage route. And there's actually a number of them. Uh, people um, from, from all over started making this, this pilgrimage to um, Santiago de Compostelo, which is, which is in the Galicia region in northwestern Spain. And, and they're going to Santiago to the cathedral there because legend had it that the Apostle James uh, one of Jesus' disciples, uh, uh, one of the sons of Zebedee, you know, James and John, um, they're, they're in the, the story for today, um, that uh, after he died, his remains were taken from Jerusalem uh, uh, to this place that is now uh, Santiago de Compostelo. And so in the ninth century, it became a major uh, medieval uh, pilgrimage route. In 1492, um, Pope Alexander VI declared the, the Camino de Santiago to be one of the three great pilgrimages of Christendom. Uh, the first, of course, Jerusalem, the second, Rome, uh, and, then, and then Santiago. So on Thursday, uh, Chan and I become pilgrims. Uh, we're gonna put on our, our backpacks and, and follow these medieval routes um, in Spain and in Portugal. Uh, one of you asked me last week, kind of with a, a, a confused slash concerned look uh, on your face, um, you know, I, I thought, you know, with a renewal leave, like, aren't you supposed to come back rested? And I just laughed, like, well, we're going to have our backpacks, but we're not going to, like, uh, circumvent the, the continent on, on foot. Like, we're going to utilize buses and, and trains. Um, and obviously... I have been um, thinking about this and imagining this for some time. 
and, and I realized that, you know, we're, we're actually pilgrims now. It doesn't just start on Thursday. And, and in fact, all of us are, are pilgrims. A, a pilgrim takes on a, a posture of awareness and intentionality so that each step that we take, it, it has purpose and, and it has meaning so that we're moving toward something sacred. Uh, Thomas Merton said, if I find God, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find God. So the, the pilgrimage is discovery. It's dis discovering God in, in sacred places. Uh, we're going to seek out sacred places. We're going to seek out natural places. And, and it's to discover the people along the way, to, to capture the stories of food and festival, uh, the stories of, of culture uh, and, and custom. And we know that when our, our journey is intentionally spiritual, then we're going to make spiritual connections. So this word pilgrim, uh, it comes from the old French peregrine, uh, meaning foreigner or stranger. And, and so pilgrimage naturally involves an, an element of, of crossing borders, of engaging what is foreign, uh, of entering into the unknown. Uh, and, and as I've thought of that, I of course know that this, this happens literally when we travel, uh, but it happens at home too. It will happen to you while I'm gone. Uh, you're going to enter foreign territory. You're going to have opportunities to, to cross borders. You're going to have opportunities to, to welcome uh, the stranger. All on our journey toward this, uh, this thing that Jesus calls a kingdom thing. It, it's what we're after. Our, our text shows us that it's, it's not an easy journey. This, this following after Jesus, uh, this discovering God in, in all of the places um, on the journey. Um, it requires a, a serious commitment. That's the story that, that Luke tells us. And, and with this commitment, there's going to be rejection and uh, there's going to be persecution. I, I um, was reading some of Elaine Heath's stuff. Elaine Heath was a seminary professor in Texas. She actually um, uh, has written things and actually started a, a kind of a monastic movement, especially among seminary students out in Texas, intentional um, community and, and, and living. Um, she, uh, she moved here to, to North Carolina, and she was the, the dean for a while um, at, at the chapel at, at Duke Divinity School. Um, and in her commentary on this story, um, she says, to be a follower of Christ uh, is, to, is to walk in the way of Jesus, regardless the outcome. Uh, this, this sense of, of total abandonment with that. And so when Jesus is asked about, um, or, or, or when someone makes a statement about, I'm going to follow you, uh, he, he is very clear about what kind of uh, statement that that is like what it what what it means to follow Jesus. He says foxes have holes, birds of the air have, have nests, but but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, and and it's fascinating um, because in Jesus 
God is basically homeless, totally dependent on the hospitality of other people. And, and Elaine Heath says that the call to discipleship is, is a call to open hands. It's this, it's this practice that the saints and the mystics call detachment. Like no one can cling to, to possessions and, and faithfully follow Christ. Like the story in Jesus's comment challenges our relationship to material possessions and, and, and what we cling to uh, along the way. And then, and then someone else approaches and says, I want to follow you, but I need to go, I need to go bury my father. And Jesus's statement seems a little bit harsh. Well, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, it might help to kind of have some sense of what the burial customs are, you know, like when the body was in Jesus's day, when the body was laid in the tomb, it, a shroud was put, put over the body and um, the tomb was sealed and the body was given time to decay. And then when, when it was just bones left, when everything else was gone, then the family would come in and they would, they would take the bones off the shelf and put them in a bone box or an ossuary. You know, and that was a really, that was a really important um, ritual and an, and an important thing. Um, but, you know, this, this commitment to follow Jesus, this is Jesus' way of saying that there's an urgency to this. And that, that our uh, commitment might clash against our family commitment sometimes or, you know, the, the, the customs or the traditions. In, in the passage, beginning with, with 951, um, Jesus sends some of the disciples into to a Samaritan village uh, to, to prepare for their coming. Now, we know that, that the Samaritans, they're, they're outsiders to the Jewish community. Uh, there's, there's a lot of enmity between these two groups. We mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Um, but he, he plans this mission into this Samaritan village. And so, you know, it's a, it's a racially charged thing. It's a religiously charged thing. But to the disciples' credit, they go. They go to the Samaritans with, with Jesus' message. And they're willing to reach out like Jesus does. Like they're really willing to, to follow, even when that is, is a difficult thing, beyond these familiar boundaries. They're crossing this border into an unknown uh, place, into an unknown territory. But as we read the story, we know that it's short-lived. When, when the Samaritans reject them, they become angry. James and John, in particular, the sons of Zebedee, the, James, whose, whose shrine I'm going to be visiting uh, on, on our pilgrimage, uh, they, they want to... Uh, uh, incinerate the town, uh, call down fire from heaven, just kind of like Elijah did uh, with, with the, the prophets of Baal. But Jesus rebukes them, which is a, a, a very clear reminder uh, that all people are sacred. When the world reveals itself to us as we travel on foot, we discover the sacredness of that place that we're standing so Jesus rebukes them. Uh, Jesus reminds them that, uh, that that's not what it's about. And they pilgrim on to Jerusalem, uh, to the cross, bringing God's salvation, one village, one family, one person at a time. And you and I, we're called to do the same. There's a poem that I've shared by Ruth Feldman. It's called Detour. 
Um, when I first read it, I, I knew that it captured the spirit uh, of what uh, Chan and I are doing and what I've come to feel of what we're all doing together. I took a long time getting here, much of it wasted on wrong turns, back roads riddled by ruts. I had adventures I never would have known if I proceeded as the crow flies. Super highways are so sure of where they're going, they arrive too soon. A straight line isn't always the shortest distance between two people. Sometimes I act as though I'm heading somewhere else while imperceptibly I, know, I narrow the gap between you and me. I'm not sure I'll ever know the right way, but I don't mind getting lost now and then. Maps don't know everything. Pilgrim on. Oh man. <laughs>